there was an old town and a big hill and people kept falling down the hill and, and the town hall came together and they argued about, you know, we need more ambulances to, to go to the bottom of the hill when people fall down. And then other people argued, we need more fences to prevent people from falling down the hill. Yeah. And with opioids, we, we need both. We definitely need fences, but we, we also need ambulances. We also need to keep people alive so that they can recover. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. We're talking about finding solutions to the opioid epidemic. This is part two on our coverage of the opioid epidemic, so if you're just tuning in, you might want to check out part one. But here's a little recap. Last time we talked about how many people are dying from opioid overdoses. More people die from opioid overdoses than car accidents, motor vehicle crashes, and firearms put together. We talked about some of the origins of today's opioid epidemic. Kind of as a society, um, back in the mid-1990s, a drug was approved through the FDA called OxyContin. OxyContin was approved, um, um, considered to be safe, um, treatment of pain. Um, Safe meaning it wasn't addictive, um, had, had few potential risks, which was um, turned out to be completely wrong. And last time we talked about how this epidemic affects the society and particularly families. Yeah, it's really sad. And when we talk about educating the youth, a lot of people want us to go in schools and kind of teach prevention and, and, you know, drugs are bad. These are the dangers of opioids. But really, sometimes we have to go into schools and, and teach some harm reduction and teach youth how to, how to respond to an overdose because their parents are, are using In today's episode, we're talking about some of the solutions to the opioid epidemic. Let's jump right back into my interview with Angela Stander Ito from the Utah Department of Health. So I got a question from uh, Deanne Ellsworth uh, Kettenring. She said, when will there be more clinicians and rehabilitation centers that are affordable to help those with a problem. So is affordability is a problem with treatment? Yes, huh? there's a really big gap, especially in Utah where we're not a Medicaid expansion state, right? So it's it's really hard to get coverage. It's easy to say, you know, put the people in treatment, don't arrest them, but you know, a lot of times treatment is such a big gap. I I hate to I hate that I don't have the better answers for it. We do have some state and publicly funded treatment centers. Yeah. Um a lot of times there's there's a wait list, but I don't want to deter anyone from ever seeking that or trying to to figure out the system and and get some help because there is help, but there is a lot of uh, you know privately owned um, rehabilitation centers that are kind of capitalizing on this issue, um, mm. and we hope that most are well intended and and serve their customers well. But it, it's it's a tough tough area too because treatment is very expensive um, and getting coverage for it. So. I would say yes. Um, she's right there. There, there is a gap, and, and when will we start to see that that gap kind of close? We're, we're working on it. We have legislators that are trying. We had a, a slight Medicaid expansion this last session. That so that would be one of the best things is getting that because I know that's yeah. that's that's probably going to show up on getting the those ballot. uninsured. Um, I, I've been at a few conventions where people. Um, we're gathering signatures for Medi- mm-hmm. or Medicaid expansion, so that would would be big. Yes, from, that'd be huge. I mean, it wouldn't solve everything, but a lot of people who are uninsured, I'd give them some more options um, for getting into treatment. So. Got it. Okay, so that same person also asked, what questions should a person ask their doctor before being prescribed an opioid? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, we do we really want to empower people to feel like they can have a, start a conversation with their doctor. I think a lot of times we feel like doctor knows best, and we sit there and, and whatever's written, hand it to us, don't ask any questions. But yeah. doctors really would would like to have some dialogue. Um, I think they sometimes they're feel fearful of not prescribing, um, just because like we said, we've become a, a society that expects it. So I would first encourage people to feel like they can, you know, talk to their physician, have a conversation, ask questions before it's prescribed, or even once it's prescribed. Don't don't be afraid to say, hey, let's let's hold off. Let's talk about this a minute. So some questions you can ask to start that conversation is if you're prescribed an opioid or before you're, you accept that prescription, you can ask things such as, am I at risk for addiction? Um, and talk about what risk factors are and and ask him if he feels like you're at risk um, and ask him about alternatives. Say, well, something else work. Is this this really the path? Is there non-narcotic um, medication we can do? Or can I just try ice and ibuprofen? Um, how long? My will- personal <laughs> favorite. <laughs> yeah, which which is proven to be just as effective. So um, another question you can ask is, how long will I be taking these medications? Um, then ask, are, are you prescribing the lowest dose possible? Um, the CDC suggests that when doctors prescribe opioids to treat acute pain, that they start low and go slow is kind of the thing. So Instead of just punch it. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, and then the last one is, what's your plan to taper me off? So if I do kind of become dependent and and really used to used to these medications, do you, do you have a plan to help me get off those um, to make sure I don't have withdrawals or, or become dependent? Well, and that kind of creates accountability for the patient and the doctor. Yeah, like, yeah. You're going to help me and I'm going to... And I think most of the time, if you raise that many questions, they, they probably just would find an alternative for you anyway and say, wow, this person's <laughs> really aware. Because that question of am I at risk for addiction, really everyone's at risk for addiction. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to know. Some people will say that I've take the, taken these medications after surgery and they make me feel terrible. I hate them. But then, you know, you never know if you're going to have that effect or if you're going to have a, a different effect that, that's going to lead to an addiction. Okay, let's start talking about solutions. All right, so one of those solution, one of the solutions to drugs is drugs. <laughs> I mean, fighting opioids with certain things. So, for example, naloxone or Narcan, right? Yep, Same thing. Yep, Narcan's a brand name. Okay, it's yep. just the brand name. Some people may be more familiar with one, yeah. of, one or the yeah. other. One of the commenters on Facebook is actually a medical student, and he said, "I just got done with." a month rotation at a VA hospital chemical dependency clinic. So this question may sound a little cynical, but based on many sad experiences. What is the cost of the Narcan or naloxone program? I'm not just talking about the cost of medicine, but all, but all the resources being drained by this system effort. How many of those lives saved will be able to come clean and have a productive life. I know you, you can't put a price on human life, but just exactly how much does it cost to gre- rescue one person this way? Would that funding not be better spent in prevention? Disclaimer, I'm a preventative medicine resident. That's Brandon Shumley, who's yeah. a medical student. Yeah, I appreciate that, Brandon. Um, it was bold. Um, <laughs> I, we'll talk about a few things. I'm, I'm surprised um, someone who spent some time in a chemical dependency clinic um, that's that's a really good place to gain some empathy to understand how how strong of an addiction um, opioid dependence and addiction is. Um, I I wish I wish that every physician who is ever going to have the the ability or or licensure to prescribe an opioid, I wish that they had to do some rotations in a chemical dependency 
um, situation and, so you and, and see, see the is, potential. Yeah, yeah. That, that a simple um, prescribing a medication could could lead to. So that's a great question. As far as cost, it's it's not costing us a great amount in our state. Last session, um, we did provide um, we did have some legislated funds that that went towards naloxone and training. So the naloxone program. Um, but as far as affordability for for kind of the general lay person who doesn't receive it through an naloxone program, who doesn't receive it for free, it's pretty affordable with insurance. You can get naloxone at any pharmacy um, without a prescription from your doctor. Um, and let's back up and talk about naloxone before I sure. kind of address um, Brandon's concerns there and yeah. um, of of how much we invest in that and how much we imp- invest in a more upstream approach. Um, yeah, the preventive so, upstream. So yeah. naloxone is an opioid um, an- overdose antidote. Um, so when someone overdoses on an opioid, their, their opioid receptors in their brain have been flooded with that drug um, to the point that it causes respiratory depression. So the person stops breathing. Um, this is very subtle death. Usually a lot of people don't even notice it's happening because person looks like they, they've fallen asleep. Um, they're un- unable to awaken. Um, and the, the ways that people can, can notice these signs and symptoms of overdose is, um, persons unable to awaken, call their name, things such as that, um, pinpoint pupils, they start to lose circulation, their lips and, and fingertips go blue. Um, and they, they usually are making kind of a loud snoring or gurgling noise. Um, so those are the signs of an overdose. Um, and so what naloxone does, um, is, is when that takes place, naloxone is administered either through a shot, so an intermuscular injection, or, or through a nasal spray. And what that does is that drug goes into the brain and knocks those opioids off the opioid receptors, um, getting that person breathing again. So it really is an amazing life-saving like drug. Right off, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, I mean, they can return to, to an overdose state. Most naloxone um, doses come with two doses and, and it's important and vital that people still seek medical attention after because they could fall back into an overdose. The effects of naloxone can wear off, um, so they're not out of the woods. There's also a very small window of, of when that can be used, so that's why it's important to have family members and friends and the first responders to an overdose to, to have it handy. Um, but yeah, we talked about, so, I mean, do we want to naloxone works so does that mean that we we continue to reverse overdoses and continue to give people second chances i mean i think it does like you said you can't put a price on human life but but should we put more of that money in prevention um i think the answer to that is that we are right now i would say we put more into upstream prevention than we put into naloxone right now so i wouldn't worry too much there that that the resources are going to the wrong place i wouldn't say that they are um the opioid epidemic is is so interesting because there's a broad spectrum. So you have the continuum, the prevention continuum. So you have very primary prevention. So preventing someone receiving this medication from their doctor from ever getting addicted. And then you have people who are using it um, or who are um, in addiction. And then we we have to prevent them from overdosing or, and dying. And then also preventing them from the spread of disease, things such as hep C and HIV. So providing them with clean needles. So I think it's important um, for this question to realize, um, just to know that there is a lot of money in prevention. We are doing a lot of things upstream, but we also, I mean, there's multiple areas when you say preventive medicine, um, that's not just primary prevention. That's just not making sure people never, never fall down the hill and need an ambulance, but, um, building fences and then also providing ambulances to save lives, um, kind of why I threw in there was this old prevention parable that people always say and you've probably heard it a lot of times, but 
there was an old town and a big hill and people kept falling down the hill and, and the town hall came together and they argued about, you know, we need more ambulances to, to go to the bottom of the hill when people fall down. And then other people argued, we need more fences to prevent people from falling down the hill. Yeah. And so I think that's what we're talking about then. And um, with this and with opioids, we, we need both. We definitely need fences, but we, we also need ambulances. We also need to keep people alive so that they can recover. And people do recover. There's so many great advocates out there who recover and get their lives back and, and who lead productive lives. So I would say to that question, yes, we put some funds into naloxone, but we also put, put it into primary prevention too. Now, we also have another person who commented from a medical background. Um, this is from Mignon Walker. Um, she's a doctor. So apparently she's a little concerned of what the CDC has to say about the, the opioid epidemic. She said nowhere in the Center for Disease Control, CDC, website is there mention holding consumers who are prescribed opioids more accountable for each pill they are prescribed. The problem appears to be greater about what happened to the meds after they leave the pharmacy. So could an education campaign geared toward accountability be part of the solution? Yes, and there is. There's there's CDC released in, in the spring of 2016 um, what's called Clinical Guidelines for Prescribing Opioids, which is basically a guide to help physicians, um, primarily primary care and family practice doctors, um, to help them prescribe. And within there, there's some je- suggestions of things you can do to increase patient accountability, things such as taking urine samples, UAs, and making sure they're not misusing any other substances before you prescribe, um, things such as signing patient kind of um, agreement sheets, um, accountability type sheets, which, you know, sounds sounds light, but, but it can be done. Uh, um, so, that's where the the patient would kind of sign an agreement that I will not, you know, share these meds or misuse okay. them, things such as that. At least there, it set, there, sets an expectation. Yeah. Right? I would say the CDC does have some suggestions. Accountability is a hard thing, though. Once those medications do leave and go home, um, it really is up to, to them what happens. But I think she asked, um, could an educational campaign um, work? And I, I want to mention the things that we are doing and that they are working. Okay, um, yeah. So... The, f- the pharmacy aspect um, is an important point. We talk a lot about physicians making sure doctors prescribe less and that the public is aware. Um, but we kind of miss that middleman who sends that medication home. And the pharmacist is really that last touch before that customer takes that medication home. So uh, last year in our state, we were the first ones to do it. And we, we did what's called a Talk to Your Pharmacist Month. And we provided each pharmacy in the state with posters, brochures, um, and pill bottle stickers um, that alert customers that, hey, this is an opioid, caution opioid, um, risk for addiction, an overdose. And then we also gave them some talking points. Um, and we challenged all the d- pharmacists for that month, um, I mean, and year round as well, if they were willing, but challenged them to, to talk with their customers who they dispense an opioid to for a little bit longer. Mentioned some things such as risks, um, things such as storing them um, in a safe um secure spot and then disposing of them as soon as they're done um, to decrease access. So that yeah. that campaign was successful and we found that um, for the pharmacists that responded to the evaluation said that a lot of their customers felt touched, They that they started that conversation, that they had no idea the risks that were associated with it, um, and that they felt a greater responsibility when their pharmacists talked to them about that. The reason I mention that is because that this last session actually passed, and now through House Bill 399, um, by here in Utah, yeah. yep, here in Utah, um, it's now required um, that 
all pharmacies place a warning label on every opioid prescription and then also that they send home a educational brochure about it. So there is a lot being done there um, to kind of help pharmacists and also the public kind of just make sure that they're educated about how risky these are. There's also a lot done to promote um, drop boxes and educating them. Where to, you throw it away? Yep. Right? Where, okay. Yeah, those are at a lot of pharmacies and, and police stations. If you go to useonlyisdirected.org, you can put in your zip code and it'll lead you to, to the drop box nearest oh, you. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot done to promote that, um, which I would say puts the accountability on the patient as well of, hey, when you're done using these... Um, get rid of them don't hold on to them don't have them in your home yeah i I do think there needs to be more accountability for we just hope to see more stuff like that yeah yeah i'd like to see more physicians implementing things such as doing ua samples and making sure they're not misusing other medications um things such as that it's a great question there's there is more um burden to be put on the customers to to be accountable to these dangerous substances okay so let's talk a little bit about some I guess alternatives, alternatives to opioids. Uh, for one thing, um, Michael Tobler on Facebook said, "What are some non-pharmacological, uh, pharmacological, <laughs> thank you, pain management techniques, and how effective are they?" Yeah, that's a great question. So we do promote alternatives. Um, it's difficult. Sometimes you might have a hard time getting coverage from insurance, but you can still try things such as um, physical therapy. Um, massages, acupuncture, those are proven to be effective. Classic things such as ice and elevation um, can help with pain. And then also... As far as like things that are like a little more superficial on the body, like the muscles. Yeah, like yeah, treating the, treating the actual in the spot. And then, um, you know, your acetaminophen, so your Tylenol, your ibuprofen, Advil can still be effective. Um, oh, oh, for example, like uh, one of the commenters on Facebook, Steph Flinders, who said, what, what options are out there? I've, I have uh, occasional severe pain and uh, contracted NSAIDs so that she's been advised to not take certain pains and anti-inflammatories. She says, because it causes my chronic illness to flare. So Tylenol doesn't help. So yeah, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, Tylenol is, is acetaminophen, and, and a lot of kind of hydrocodone, some of some of those prescription opioids just have a large amount of acetaminophen is, is what you're being given. So Tylenol really, you know, it, it should help a lot of the times. Um, we do understand, though, that there are people who deal with a great deal of chronic pain, and especially, you know, your, your cancer, end-of-life treatment type of things that they, you know, those aren't the people we're talking about. Those, yeah. those, those people definitely need opioids. I think the biggest thing you got to think about when you decide what you're taking is, does the benefit outweigh the risk? Yeah. Um, sometimes we're going to deal with some pain, but is it worth um, protecting yourself from the risk of becoming addicted or an overdose death? So it's such a tricky question. We sympathize um, greatly and understand that that's such a hard world to live in, that chronic pain, and that functionality is so important. And being able to function and be mothers and wives and people and employees, things such as that. So so we do say to them that you know a lot of people are worried that their doctors are going to stop prescribing, but there are, there are still people who are going to work with you, but... Um, just know that, that that there are alternatives, um, and that's kind of the best. That's such a, a tricky thing. I realize I'm not answering that well. If I understand, sometimes ibuprofen um, can't take that anymore. Sometimes it's hard on the stomach. Sometimes acetaminophen is hard on the on the liver. But we do find that there's a lot of different concoctions with those that that will treat pain. Um, 
And it's just so complicated because some things mm-hmm. are muscle pains, but some things mm-hmm. are a little more internal, right? With yeah. that, with these uh, opioids. Mm-hmm. And there's some other, um, you know, non-narcotic medications and, that you can talk to your doctor about. So, but just suggesting that right away, they'll start to explore. I mean, they're the experts. That's sometimes just their their first tool in their toolbox. Um, if you challenge them to say, "Hey, I'd, I don't want that one. We don't need, we don't need a chainsaw," you know, to trim the hedges <laughs> yeah, we just right. let's let's start smaller let's what else do you have in your toolbox yeah, um before we a, get to your biggest tool which is an opioid right yeah so the opioid epidemic it's 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 kind of elusive and hard to have solutions and there's just so many aspects of it like but there's w- hope too <laughs> that, that's what i was getting to what gives you hope what give what should give the listeners hope of of this thing that's that's hurting and affecting so I many think, people i think the hope is that that things are changing so it gives me hope in the way that it, i mean it is complicated but in the way of prevention i I've, I've mentioned a number of very concrete simple preventative measures um, yeah. that help people never get started and we talked about the paradigm shift that took place in the mid 1990s that got us here um, and so just swinging the pendulum back and and getting a lot of people preventing this issue. I think there's a lot of hope in that and a hope in moving forward and knowing that future generations won't be prescribed large amounts and large doses of opioids for their wisdom teeth and and be addicted by 21, um, things such as that. So I think there's hope in in that changing and us being more cautious with these and knowing their risks. I think there's hope for people who are addicted as well of things – that give hope are things such as naloxone families dealing with this still with the reality every day that their loved one is at a very increased risk for opioid overdose death and giving them something that kind of gives them, I mean, it's not, not the solve all. Um, they don't know if they're still going to be in that, the right spot, the right time to administer that naloxone, but it gives them one thing to have, um, kind of in a very powerless spot they're they're given a little bit of power and something they can do and then there's hope for for treatment there's so many people that recover um if you go to opidemic.org um that's the state round ran website for for opioid prevention there's there's a share your story area and there's so many great stories of people who do recover that do a lot of great things so so there is hope for recovery and i think the biggest hope too that we have is that that we've broken the silence we're we're at epidemic levels and everyone's talking about it so a lot of people who are struggling on their own can now have a voice um we did a great um testimonial video with with a lady named amber she was a mom who lost her beautiful daughter um, at age 21 to heroin overdose and she said in her video it's really powerful she said at the end she said I wish I could go back um, and rewrite her obituary and put in there that that she died of a heroin overdose Um, because back then she said she was too ashamed to do it but she knows that um, if that could have helped someone if that could have made someone understand that the other people are out there who are dealing with this um, and gave her a voice so I think there's hope in a lot of things like I said hope for prevention Hope for pe- keeping these people alive long enough to get them to recover. Hope to recover and then also hope to have a community that knows how to talk about mental health and knows how to reduce stigma and we talk about addiction. Um, hope for these families that are going through this that they'll they'll know that they always have a community and people who understand and support them. Um, and hope for people to, you know, to get back into the world too once they're dealing with this and, and give them a face and realize that this could be anyone. Um, we talk a lot about probably you talk about politics on this podcast. We talk a lot sure, about yeah. the, the issue in Rio Grande and, and we think about most of those, those homeless people and you know, that are, 
are the lowest of society right now and and really that that could be anyone um you're kind of that could be anyone who just gets an injury and just ends up dependent and then addicted to these types of medication and slowly spirals into that so understanding um just that we as a community have to take care of each other for this issue angela stander ito is from the utah department of public health Uh, angela thank you for enlightening us yes thanks for covering this important topic thanks for listening if you want to learn more about utah's opioid epidemic check out opidemic.org that link is in the show notes if you thought this conversation on the opioid epidemic was insightful consider leaving a review in apple podcasts our theme music is provided by Didi dumbo i'm sean Seavey, and you've been listening to un uninformed thanks everybody Thank you.